Today's Fordham Conversations is an encore presentation. Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Chris Venezia. Sixteen and seventeen-year-old New Yorkers can't vote, buy tobacco, or even rent a car, but they are tried as adults in New York's criminal justice system making the Empire State and North Carolina the only two states to do so. On today's show, we'll talk to members of a coalition that are working to keep teens out of the adult justice system. I think the advocates, the community, the ele- some elected officials know that not only is this something important that will drastically impact the lives of thousands of children in New York State and their families, but that this is something that should happen quickly. This isn't something that we should take three, four, five years to do. We'll also hear from Fordham professor Keith Cruz, who studies the mental and physical toll on teens who are tried and imprisoned as adults. They are at increased risk for physical and sexual victimization, uh, increased exposure to traumas, um, oftentimes will map onto existing traumatic experiences or exposures that a youth might have before they arrive in an adult facility. But first, we'll talk to the director and the campaign manager of the Juvenile Justice Project at the Correctional Association of New York, Gabriel Horowitz-Prisco and Angelo Pinto. They're part of a coalition that's trying to raise the age. First, just to get things started, could you guys talk about how this Raise the Age campaign really got started? I would say there's actually been um, Raise the Age work going on in New York for multiple years. Um, particularly sort of grassroots community organizing work. And about a year ago, the Correctional Association launched the Raise the Age campaign, which is focused primarily on engaging impacted community members, family members, you know, parents of young people in the system, young people themselves, and faith-based leaders in public education um, events and in sort of raising the awareness of legislators and policymakers about young people who are prosecuted as adults in New York as well as who are incarcerated in adult jails and prisons. And over the past year, you know, there have been a lot of developments in the field, including, um, you know, even more groups sort of coming to the table. Last week was a launch of a public awareness campaign called Raise the Age New York, which the Correctional Association is one member of, but there's many members. It's a diverse coalition of unions, faith-based leaders, children's rights groups, um, folks working together to raise public awareness about Raise the Age. And there's just been a growing call, you know, from people of all political stripes and backgrounds to say that time to end the practice of prosecuting children as adults in New York and get kids out of adult jails and prisons and really asking the question, why is New York one of only two states in the entire country where all 16 and 17 year olds are automatically prosecuted as adults? And you mentioned it right there. New York, one of only two states that tries all 16 and 17 year olds as adults and the other one being North Carolina. Quite simply, why should the age be raised? Well, I think there are several reasons why the age should be raised. I think one of the first reasons that we focus on when we're discussing the issue is to keep youth out of adult facilities. So because 16- and 17-year-olds are automatically considered adults, what that means is they can be housed in adult jails and prisons throughout New York State. So in New York City, if a 16-year-old is um, prosecuted as an adult, they'll go to Rikers Island even for holding. Um, And if they're sentenced for a longer time, they'll go upstate 
and Gabrielle and myself, we had the opportunity with the Prison Visiting Project at the Correctional Association to visit a facility upstate about two hours from the city called Green. And when we visited the facility, we had the opportunity to see 16- and 17-year-olds in the adult facility with men that were in their 20s, even in their 30s, um, sharing the same facility. There were no sight and sound separation, which the city normally does. And we heard stories from the other men who were inside the facility about how these 16- and 17-year-olds shouldn't be in the facility because of the tremendous vulnerability, not only in regards to the other men who are in there, the other adults, but in regards to the correctional officers and how these youths are vulnerable to a variety of abuse just because they are 16 and 17 years old. And, you know, we, we often say that in New York State and throughout the country, if you're 16 or 17 years old, you can't, you know, buy a pack of cigarettes, buy alcohol, you can't vote, you can't even get a tattoo. But in New York State, we're saying that we're going to charge you as an adult and also house you in a facility with adults. Um, and we know that will have tremendous impact on youth in the long term. Additionally, one of the things that we that is most important in terms of the community is that charging youth as adults and housing them in adult facilities does not decrease crime, but it increases it. Unfortunately, when a lot of youth go into these facilities and then come out, there's been no form of rehabilitation. The services aren't catering to the particular needs of the youth, and they come out into the communities actually more disconnected than when they went in. They may have now, you know, missed a tremendous amount of schooling and their education, and then also they may, you know, if they have been charged with a felony, they may not be able to return to their housing if it's public assistance and also in terms of getting employment. So there's a variety of factors on why we think it's very important that 16- and 17-year-olds are not prosecuted as adults in New York State. Could you guys talk about how this Raise the Age campaign really got started? I would say there's actually been um, Raise the Age work going on in New York for multiple years, um, particularly sort of grassroots community organizing work. And about a year ago, the Correctional Association launched the Raise the Age campaign, which is focused primarily on engaging impacted community members, family members, you know, parents of young people in the system, young people themselves, and faith-based leaders in public education events and in sort of raising the awareness of legislators and policymakers about young people who are prosecuted as adults in New York, as well as who are incarcerated in adult jails and prisons. And over the past year, you know, there have been a lot of developments in the field, including even more groups sort of coming to the table. Last week was a launch of a public awareness campaign called Raise the Age New York, which the Correctional Association is one member of, but there's many members. It's a diverse coalition of unions, faith-based leaders, children's rights groups, um, folks working together to raise public awareness about Raise the Age. And there's just been a growing call, you know, from people of all political stripes and backgrounds to say that it's time to end the practice of prosecuting children as adults in New York and get kids out of adult jails and prisons. And really asking the question, why is New York one of only two states in the entire country where all 16 and 17 year olds are automatically prosecuted as adults? And you mentioned it right there. New York, one of only two states that tries all 16 and 17 year olds as adults, uh, and the other one being North Carolina, quite simply, why should the age be raised? 
Well, I think there are several reasons why the age should be raised. I think one of the first reasons that we focus on when we're discussing the issue is to keep youth out of adult facilities. So because 16- and 17-year-olds are automatically considered adults, what that means is they can be housed in adult jails and prisons throughout New York State. So in New York City, if a 16-year-old is um, prosecuted as an adult, they'll go to Rikers Island even for holding. Um, and if they're sentenced for a longer time, they'll go upstate. And Gabrielle and myself, we have the opportunity with the Prison Visiting Project at the Correctional Association to visit a facility upstate about two hours from the city called Green. And when we visited the facility, we had the opportunity to see 16- and 17-year-olds in the adult facility with men that were in their 20s, even in their 30s. Um, sharing the same facility, there were no sight and sound separation, which the city normally does. And we heard stories from the other men who were inside the facility about how these 16- and 17-year-olds shouldn't be in the facility because of the tremendous vulnerability, not only in regards to the other men who are in there, the other adults, but in regards to the correctional officers and how these youths are vulnerable to a variety of abuse just because they are 16 and 17 years old. And, you know, we, we often say that in New York State and throughout the country, if you're 16 or 17 years old, you can't, you know, buy a pack of cigarettes, buy alcohol, you can't vote, you can't even get a tattoo. But in New York State, we're saying that we're going to charge you as an adult and also house you in a facility with adults. Um, and we know that will have tremendous impact on youth in the long term. Additionally, one of the things that we that is most important in terms of the community is that charging youth as adults and housing them in adult facilities does not decrease crime, but it increases it. Unfortunately, when a lot of youth go into these facilities and then come out, there's been no form of rehabilitation. The services aren't catering to the particular needs of the youth, and they come out into the communities actually more disconnected than when they went in. They may have now, you know, missed a tremendous amount of schooling and their education. And then also they may, you know, if they have been charged with a felony, they may not be able to return to their housing if it's public assistance and also in terms of getting employment. So there's a variety of factors on why we think it's very important that 16- and 17-year-olds are not prosecuted as adults in New York State. Republican State Senator Michael Nazolio is quoted in a recent New York Times article as saying there isn't enough support right now in this push to raise the age. How would you respond to that? Well, I actually think when you look at three years ago, two years ago, even a year and a half ago, there was a lot less support for this. There wasn't high visibility on this issue. But I think today that's really changing. The press conference alone that we had last week with the group of advocates that are working on, you know, raising the age throughout New York was a, a great illustration of the amount of advocates and civil rights organizations that are participating and letting their voice be heard on this issue. And there was a number of um, government officials also present. And one of the things we're doing at the Correctional Association is really connecting with a variety of folks around the state who understand that this is an important issue. And what you'll see, I think, over the course of the coming months is the voices raised throughout the state of individuals who realize that this is a very important issue. Now, I think one of the things that needs to happen and we plan on engaging is that some of the voices of the senators and some of the voice of folks in government need to let their voice be heard on the issue. Um, and I think you'll also hear the community voice, which is kind of loud and clear, that folks know that youth should not be charged as adults. So I think the tide is definitely changing, and it's changing fast. 
How does your organization plan to push lawmakers and those in Albany into putting together legislation that effectively raises the age? You know, Angelo mentioned that um, there was a press conference held at which the Correctional Association is one member, but again, it's a diverse coalition of stakeholders, including civil rights groups, Mm -hmm. unions, community advocates, children's rights advocates, coming together to create public awareness around this issue. In addition, you know, there are a lot of organizations, including the Correctional Association, who are doing grassroots organizing. So Angelo mentioned he's the campaign manager of the Correctional Association's Raise the Age campaign, and we've been working with parents, community members, impacted young people. We've met with legislators and policymakers, and again, there's a lot of groups and a lot of voices coming together right now to do this. And I think how we're going to do it is by really making sure that voters, that listeners, the people who are listening right now know some of the reality of the situation. I think most people would really be shocked to know that, for example, children in New York State, 16 and 17-year-olds, who cannot, as Angelo said, even, you know, get a a fake tattoo, excuse me, or a fake tan without their parents' permission, are currently locked up in adult jails and prisons where, for example, they are placed in solitary confinement, often, you know, not every young person, but for up to 23 hours a day with food shoved through a slot in the door being perhaps the only contact with a human being for 23 hours a day, and that children are in these conditions, sometimes for their own protection from adults. You know, children in adult jails and prisons face extreme rates of sexual assault, rape, sexual abuse. The research is overwhelming that children in adult jails and prisons are incredibly vulnerable. And I don't think that most taxpayers know that or are aware of that. I don't know that they know this is happening with taxpayer dollars. And I don't know that people are really aware that the public safety argument is on the side of raising the age. You know, going back to some of the statistics we talked about before, the national, you know, national studies have been done that look at a lot of research and compile it all together and have shown that nationwide, when you prosecute kids in the adult system, they're 34% more likely to commit violent acts or criminal acts in the future than when they're treated in the youth justice system and they have access to the kind of rigorous rehabilitative services that you asked me about before. So how are we going to do it? We're going to do it by making sure that people have the information they need to speak to legislators and policymakers, and that legislators and policymakers have the information they need to have an informed vote. And I, you know, we're not at all discouraged by the fact that some people think that this is a hard battle. Many states, every other state besides North Carolina, including states that, you know, have far different political landscapes than New York, are ahead of New York on this issue. And New York, which prides itself on being a national leader, is shamefully behind. And we think that New Yorkers will see the wisdom of change. How confident are you that next year legislation will pass to raise the age in New York? I I would like to say that I'm very confident that will happen. I think we've brought together, and you can see the voices that are key coming together. And I think the advocates, the community, the ele- some elected officials know that not only is this something important that will drastically impact the lives of thousands of children in New York State and their families, but that this is something that should happen quickly. This isn't something that we should take three, four, five years to do. And I think New York State being behind the rest of the country kind of illustrates that. You know, why take 
five years to catch up with the rest of the country. And I think that's going to be a good indicator and a good pusher or, you know, leveraging point for us to do this quickly. And I think it's something that um, the governor will be able to see the usefulness and validity of doing this, too. I don't think that raising the age of criminal responsibility in New York State is a, is a stretch by any measure. All right, I want to thank you guys very much for sitting down and talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Okay, you thanks. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM WFUV. I'm Chris Venezia. Today, we're talking about New Yorkers in their late teens who are treated as adults in the criminal justice system, making the Empire State one of only two states to do so. Next, we hear from Dr. Keith Cruz, an associate professor of psychology at Fordham University. For over a decade, he's worked with troubled adolescents and published many reports on the negative impact time behind bars can have on teens. Juvenile justice systems, there is no one overarching juvenile justice system okay. in the United States. Some commentators have even commented that we have 50 individual systems uh, because family courts or, and as, a, as an extension of that, juvenile courts are primarily a state function. So individual states are uh, somewhat free to establish the types of programs and services and the overall administration of, of their juvenile court uh, system. How are mental health consequences, mental health risks, how do those increase when a juvenile is placed into an adult correctional facility? The research tells us that when a juvenile is placed in an adult correctional facility, they are at increased risk for physical and sexual victimization, uh, increased exposure to traumas, um, oftentimes will map onto existing traumatic experiences or exposures that a youth might have before they arrive in an adult facility. So you may see that the stress and the adversities, the exposures to trauma that might occur in an adult correctional setting may exacerbate mental health problems. And that exacerbation then occurs within facilities that are not necessarily equipped or have appropriate mental health staff who are trained to provide structure and services to adolescents because they're more used to working with adult offenders. And there are very important differences between 20 and 30 year olds and a 16 or a 17 year old in these settings. And then looking at studies, I know the PREA Prison Rape Elimination Act uh, came around in 2003, and there's been more studies done since then on the justice system in the United States. But I've noticed there's not really accurate numbers when I looked at this. I've seen studies that say 4% of all adults in the criminal justice system have experienced sexual abuse, but I've also seen you know, another study that shows almost 13%. I've seen studies that show a juvenile in the adult system is five times more likely. How accurate are these studies, would you say, and do more studies need to be done to really highlight some of these health impacts in the justice system? Well, as a researcher, I would sort of say always more studies are a good thing, right? Uh, but I think, you, you know, you picked up on an important point is that the studies that have been sanctioned or authorized via the Prison Rape Elimination Act, uh, the methodologies that were utilized in these studies 
are different. Uh, the original studies relied on uh, on, on prison administrators uh, to report on the types of detect detected incidents that had come to their attention. That and so those studies relied on the accurate reporting of administrators, and also then assumes that there is an accurate report or detection of these sorts of covert instance, incidences uh, from within the systems. Um, the more recent studies have tried to rely on a combination of administrative or official records, but also direct interviews of, uh, um, of individuals who are within the institutions as well. So the methodologies are a bit different, and then sometimes they can make some direct comparisons between the estimates or the numbers derived from those studies, kind of difficult to reconcile uh, when we see differences. And there's a, a campaign in New York that was launched recently. It's called Raise the Age. And uh, the background of it is New York and North Carolina are the only two states that try 16 and 17-year-olds as adults. I'm wondering, does it make sense maybe to actually listen to this coalition, to maybe raise the age and not try 16 and 17-year-olds as adults to maybe keep them out of these health risks that come with being in the adult prison system? Yes, I, I think the... I think this is a really important initiative uh, that has been occurring. You know, you've, you've stated it correctly that New York and North Carolina are the only remaining states mm -hmm. that automatically process 16 and 17-year-olds when they're arrested for a crime in, in adult court. Um, so we're kind of in New York, we're kind of, you know, <laughs> on the, uh, we're, we're a minority uh, mm -hmm. when, when, it, when it comes to this. Even the Supreme Court, in cases where they have examined uh, differences between adolescents and adults, uh, you know, for things such as um, applicability of capital sentencing, life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for homicide cases, and now also for non-homicide cases, the Supreme Court has recognized and in eliminating uh, these sentencing options for adolescents when they are charged in, a, in adult courts. Supreme Court has recognized that there are fundamental differences between adolescents and adults that changes the nature of their capacities for responsibility for these sorts of crimes. New York, in continuing to automatically charge 16 and 17-year-olds as adults, is, from my perspective, inconsistent with the developmental science, with the developmental neuroscience and with Supreme Court precedent in the ways that uh, juveniles are being recognized as categorically different in terms of criminal responsibility uh, in, in relation to adults. If you could, and, and I don't know if you could do this because, as you mentioned earlier, it differs state to state, prison to prison in terms of treatment. But maybe talk about some of the differences between a juvenile justice system as opposed to an adult detention facility. There are important differences in terms of, it comes down to that basic idea of, you know, containment okay. uh, and how much of a focus is going to be on rehabilitation uh, services. That is still a, a key fundamental difference between a juvenile detention or a juvenile correctional uh, system and, and an adult uh, facility uh, as well. There are oftentimes mandates usually developed within states uh, to keep service delivery 
in that goal towards rehabilitation and the eventual return of the juvenile to the community as an important part of the way that the facilities are structured and run. Another important difference between juvenile facilities and adult facilities is the mandate of educational services as well. When kids are removed because of crime and placed in a in a facility, um, the state has an obligation to be providing them educational services. Within a juvenile correctional facility, uh, there's generally a, a larger contingent of education staff. There will usually be essentially a school that is set up inside the facility that is oftentimes run either by the state or run by the local education district as a way to attempt to maintain some consistency in educational programming. And this becomes very, very important because studies indicate just like those of the mental health factors are very, very high, many youth in the juvenile justice system are identified with educational disabilities or, or will enter the facility with a um, special education designation. Systems then of, of providing educational services within a juvenile detention or corrections environment are more used to and equipped to then be providing educational services that are consistent with uh, those types of uh, special education needs. Um, a criticism of adult correctional systems uh, when 16, 17, or 18-year-olds might then be placed is that they don't have the same access to the same educational uh, you know, types of uh, programs. Um, and it's kind of one of a numbers game. There are fewer 16- and 17-year-olds in that adult jail, so administrators need to make sometimes hard decisions about where to try to spend their limited resources. Um, so I think that that's one very, very important difference. Um, and we know that vocational and educational training can be a significant factor in reducing recidivism uh, for juvenile offenders. And if we limit educational opportunities or vocational opportunities when youth are uh, detained or serving a correctional sentence, then you know, we have lost an opportunity to try to reduce their overall recidivism risk. Would you say it also helps uh, teenagers when they're paired up in a juvenile system with other teenagers in terms of finding companionship as opposed to being in an adult prison system when, you know, these teenagers, these 16, 17, 18-year-olds are with people that are, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old? <laughs> um, that's a tough question uh, to, okay. to answer um, because it's it's kind of... I think it's probably important to address a couple of points okay. uh, around that. We know if we if we think about the studies um, under the Prison Rape Elimination Act and other anecdotal studies of victimization rates when adolescents are in adult facilities, the numbers suggest that they're at an increased risk, and that risk probably comes from their mental health vulnerabilities, but also um, being young in a facility where they will come into contact with older adults. Um, and so these studies, which are somewhat anecdotal uh, in nature because these are hard studies to try to do to gain access and to kind of systematically study this, uh, this problem, you know, suggest that is a concern um, in terms of uh, victimization. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that placing juveniles within a juvenile correctional facility or detention center with their same age peers is necessarily any better. Um, 
it comes back to what I mentioned earlier that not all juvenile offenders are the same. Okay. Uh, we know that placing low risk and low need youth in with higher risk or higher or youth that are more invested in or have longer histories of aggression or violence, that lower risk youth can actually start to role model and emulate some of those characteristics, probably as a way to fit in, but also as a survival tendency. So sometimes uh, we've recognized, we call it iatrogenic harm, even as in an effort to try to rehabilitate youth, placing a youth in with other more aggressive or violent youth can actually make some youth worse. So what the system uh, and what courts are attempting to do is to do a much more careful analysis of a youth's level of risk and the needs that they have and to try to do a better job of matching the types of services or placement to avoid that mixing of low risk and high risk youth. Because studies have shown when systems don't do that, um, when you do that mixing uh, and that happens indiscriminately, it doesn't, the low risk youth may actually come out with a higher recidivism risk and may actually continue to engage in, you know, crimes, increase their risk of, of getting involved in higher types of offenses and maybe even in adult offenses. Um, so, Juvenile facilities in and of themselves may not necessarily be any better. Dr. Cruz, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to speak with me. Very insightful and just honestly always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM WFUV. To hear the full interviews from today's show, you can check out our show page on WFUV.org and listen to our weekly podcast. I want to give a special thanks to my producer, Alan Kanlick, for putting this show together. Stay tuned. Cityscape with George Bodarki is next.